iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to the game World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. Over the next month, we'll be bringing you podcasts every match day after 10 o'clock UK time every night. It was an historic day in Russia. Five penalties awarded, including the first two ever by VAR. And we even had goal line technology in the mix as well. In the studio with me, the Times' resident stats guru and the man who's been providing our nightly trivia teasers. It's Bill Edgar. And Bill, you've turned up for work in a waistcoat in tribute to Mark Clanberg. That's very nice of you, very fetching. Thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> uh, and in uh, Rapino, it is the Sunday Times football correspondent Jonathan Northcroft. Hello, Jonathan. Hi there. Hello. We'll be speaking to you momentarily. And later on, I'll be hearing from a man who's made his way to Russia via the Trans-Siberian Railway, Mr. George Colkin. Uh, France and Denmark took control of Group C with victories on match day three. And we've just been watching Croatia cruise past Nigeria in Group D. So many big games to discuss. But let's start in Moscow with David versus Goliath. And it was the two-time world champions Argentina taking part in their 17th finals versus the smallest nation ever to play at a World Cup. The debutants, Iceland, and they played out a one-all draw. And much like the eyes of the world were on Cristiano Ronaldo for the Portugal-Spain game to deliver, the spotlight was on Lionel Messi to do the same. And Jonathan, that didn't quite materialise. No, it didn't. Um, And it it did look rather that uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's performance was, was on Messi's mind. I mean, it, it's terrible, the cliche of always sort of comparing the pair of them, but it's also unavoidable. And, and it did look throughout that match that Messi was trying just maybe a little bit too hard. I think he set a, an Argentine record for the most number of shots in a, in a World Cup game without scoring. I'm sure Bill will know that. Um, and, you know, it, it got to the point where He's shooting from distance, free kicks were going in the wall, of course it was a penalty, he, he, he looked very frustrated throughout the match and it was hard for him to follow what Ronaldo did uh, the, in, the night before but, but he certainly wasn't able to deliver what his country needed in the same way that Cristiano did. Yeah Bill, what did you make of Lionel Messi? You know, sometimes uh, when he drops deep into the centre circle, people say, oh, he's dropping too deep, he should stay up front. Well, basically, he was dropping deep the whole game. I mean, it was really messy or nothing for Argentina. Um, I mean, if you look at, if you kind of analyse all of his touches, he, you know, had a great game. I mean, he played lots of lovely one-twos. Problem was that he got uh, as far as the D, and there's still five or six centre backs facing him. There was there's just nowhere to go. I mean, it was a combination of he didn't get much help from his teammates, 
And also, uh, Iceland just uh, defended brilliantly. They were tactically, they were fantastic. I mean, we know individually they were they're far inferior to Argentina, but they they've absolutely brilliantly defended. They it was as they were being operated from above. They all 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 ten outfield players all move across at the same time and all move back at the same time. Maybe if if Messi had been at the at the very top line of the attack, the ball would never have got to him. I've never seen a team. I've never seen the right combinations um, I've never seen what Iceland have got which is you know something that's the whole is good and some the some of the parts and I think what they need to do is is work out ways to, to, to get the best players playing combination I think there is something obviously for Aguero with, with, with Messi that they need to work on um, maybe that can be the, the sort of the start of something for him, and that would be the positive. Maybe that Argentina would would take out of the game, but they they, they still seem a long way short of, of of what they need to be to to be one of the favourites of the tournament. Which I know some people think they, they they were going into this, but I've never seen that myself. It didn't take long for Iceland to score their first ever World Cup goal through Alfred Finnbogason. Uh, well, of course, we had the thunderclap as a result of that, and it was the product of some fine pressing from an Icelandic team that seemed to show very little nerve, Bill. Uh, they did, yeah, um, and it was. I mean, they, they spent most of the game uh, in their own, not in their own half, but in their own quarter because the whole, the entire team. But uh, as soon as they fell behind, they pushed forward very confidently. Gilfie Sigurdsson was uh, very much involved in the the goal on the right. Went up the wing and uh, put one good crossover. Came back to him another good crossover. And they scored. So it was almost as if Iceland said, "Well, we'll we'll probably keep uh, Argentina out for the whole game, but uh, just in case they do score, we'll just go up the other end and equalise," which they did within four minutes. So they played very well. They they did play well. And what was striking, I guess, about that equaliser was how shaky Argentina's defence was, Jonathan. I mean, they were all over the place and Willy Caballero was just so unconvincing yeah. in goal. He is. And I guess that's what I mean about Argentina as a team. It's, it's so patchy. You know, you look at Caballero, always a vulnerability for a team, I think. Um, he has talent as a short stopper, but... He's never got the authority. You look at Rojo, he's never, never been the most reliable defender. Um, they're just they're, they're soft at the back. But I have to say, I, I think Iceland just continue to be this most extraordinary story. And as a Scot, I look at them with a little bit of bittersweet. I look at them with, with envy, really, because they're such a small nation. You know, they, they've got, they had Carrie Arneson on the pitch. I'm an Aberdeen supporter, and he, he was our reserve centre back in the. In the Scottish Premier League last season. You know, we didn't need him. We, we sold him at the end of the season. And there he is helping keep out Lionel Messi. It just shows what, you know, teamwork, a structure, belief, and, and that thing that Iceland have got, you know, can, can do for them. It's, it's, it's brilliant to watch. And, 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 you know, as I say, for all small nations, you look at them and you think, my goodness, if, if only all of us could do that. I mean, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Oh, they are a great story. Uh, another story we were expecting to be told in Russia was all about VAR, wasn't it? And this was a game that the referee decided against using it. Uh, but could he have changed his mind? Let's talk about that first, the penalty that was given. Um, could he have reversed that decision if he'd looked at uh, VAR? Yeah, there was a suggestion that Misa threw himself into the defender. Um 
I wouldn't be completely sure. He he was looking the other way, looking towards where the ball was coming from, uh, from Messi's chipped pass. I wasn't sure that he threw his leg into uh, the leg of the opponent. So um, so maybe uh, he wouldn't have changed it. Mm. As it was, it was that Messi who took the penalty and. I know we've already spoken about the game itself and how he fared, but I don't even know how you explain that penalty from from Messi, Jonathan. I know, uh, and I think I read somewhere that he missed four out of seven, which for a player of his ridiculous talent is 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 an unreal statistic. I mean, he he didn't really look like he was going to score it. You know, watching him run up, there's something about the body shape, the body language that that didn't look right. Um, I think I said earlier that he, he, he just seemed to be trying a little bit too hard throughout the match and and maybe that was maybe that was part of it. Um if you know, it was a pretty decent save. Nice height for him, but it was a decent save and I think I just felt watching the game that at that point when, you know, your talisman misses a penalty, you're not gonna win and and, and that's how it turned out. In, in Messi's whole career, that it's one bad game and, and, and it doesn't really mean anything. But, of course, given the stakes that he faces at this thing, the World Cup and the high expectations on him, then he needs to put it right in the next game. I, I think Argentina have now got a fairly precarious task, just the way the, the group pans out, because Iceland have got a chance to, to beat Nigeria in the next game and, and really put pressure on, on both Argentina and Croatia to... To try and qualify, you know, it, 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 it's a it's a bad result in just in terms of the flow of the group for for Argentina and Messi. It was an off night for Messi, off night for Argentina, and there'll be no doubt ruining a penalty that wasn't given to them. Bill Christian Pavon brought down. This has caused such a debate everywhere. Everyone's saying VAR should have got involved because it was a clear cut penalty. Uh, I, I think it was a clear cut penalty. I can't see any reason why uh, you wouldn't give it. Uh, so VAR uh, has to decide was it a clear and obvious error. I really don't understand why they didn't send it back. I, d- I don't know if the the the, the the goal kick was taken so quickly that uh, um, they hadn't even got a word that, you know, while they were looking at their video screens and they'd not even uh, had time to mention it to the referee. I'm not quite sure, but, uh, but yeah, surely that was, uh, I mean, I'm mean, very much in favour of VAR, but uh, I don't think it was applied properly there. The Game, World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. You can hear live commentary of all of Sunday's games on TalkSport, including Costa Rica taking on Serbia at 1 o'clock, Germany versus Mexico at 4, and the clash between Brazil and Switzerland live from 7 o'clock on TalkSport. It is Croatia who top Group D after their 2-0 win over Nigeria, and it's a group uh, that is a tough one to call, with Argentina and Iceland in it as well. But uh, Jonathan, Croatia is certainly putting on a, a comfortable display yeah, I think it was it was a pretty competent display. I, I thought Nigeria were were fairly timid. Maybe it was hard to gauge exactly how good Croatia are because because of the opposition. But it's a, it's a good, very good result for them because what they can do now is if they can get a draw against Argentina, they're, they're in a really good position to, to qualify from the group. I think you saw an experienced team who's played together a lot, who've, who've got some very good players when it comes to keeping hold of the ball. Who are going to be sort of fairly competent and, and fairly fairly tough to beat? And Modric's penalty was was, was obviously far superior to, to Messi's, and they need Modric to be 
you know, they're, they're, they're sort of superstar in this World Cup and he got off to a good start. Certainly did, and, and Croatia dark horses uh, for many. But uh, the way the goal scoring happened was an uh, extremely unfortunate own goal that, that put them ahead. It was poor old Nigeria. They they uh, their very last match of the last World Cup. It was a Joseph Yobo own goal in stoppage time against France, and they wait four years and they start again. And there's another one comes but along. They like scoring, but just in the wrong. Uh, yes, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> we like to kind of uh, look at how continents are doing. I mean, it may be a bit early, but the poor old African teams have lost all three and uh, haven't scored any goals. Although, in fact, they have scored twice, both in the the wrong end, including the, the Morocco player. Um, <laughs> but it, yes, it was a uh, not a great night all round really for Nigeria. Uh, Victor Moses a couple of times threw himself down could have been booked as if trying to uh, be the first player to be booked for diving in an FA Cup final and a World Cup uh, so it, yes it doesn't look great for the but, uh, but on Croatia on the other hand very comfortable and uh, with Argentina's draw then Croatia must be hopeful perhaps of uh, winning the group and then say avoiding say if France win the adjacent group then avoiding France in the, and perhaps playing Denmark in the first uh, knockout round. Uh, and Jonathan, you mentioned uh, the Luka Modric penalty. Uh, that came on the 72nd minute. No VAR needed for this one. It was such an obvious foul from True Stikong all over Mandzukic. When you see those incidents, you think, what are you doing? You, you know, you train, you know, day in, day out. You, you don't do those sorts of things. Yeah, well, it wasn't great, was it? It wasn't great. I mean, it, it, there was a, I thought there was, a, there was a raggedness about Nigeria's performance overall. That, that, that probably demonstrated really that they, they I was really, really disappointed in them to take those points about how badly Africa's doing as a continent you know I, I mean, it's a frustration watching these tournaments go by without seeing the African nations really step up to what they're capable of in terms of their talent and certainly 2010 when, when Ghana were going so well I felt then that maybe it was a matter of time before an African team really went a long way in the competition, but we, we, you know, eight years later, we now seem to be further than ever, and it's, it's a real shame. And Jonathan, before we let you go, you're going to be joining us again on Sunday night. You're at the England camp, and we're going to get your thoughts on what shape Gareth Southgate's men are in as Monday's opener with Tunisia looms large. But before we let you go, uh, tell us about development on Fabian Delph that you can uh, bring us. Yeah, Fabian Delph was 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 the the, the designated player put up for the media today, and and. I mean, the story of the England camp has, has, has been real, a real charm offensive, not, not a cheesy charm offensive. You know, it's been they're just genuinely a, a, a really admirable, nice, good bunch of guys. And, and, and Delph, very much part of that, he, you know, he, he, he's, he's really funny, really witty, and, and had this great sort of honesty about him. And we talked to him about um, his domestic situation, he, his wife, uh, Natalie is, is is due to give birth on the the thirtieth of June to their their third child, and and Fabian has, has got an arrangement with Gareth Southgate that that he's going to go home as soon as she she goes into labour. And he he said today that he was, you know, he's on standby, um, and he's quite prepared to miss an England game, even if it's a big one, to 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 go and do that. That he's you know he's got the FA to get the the jet at the ready and. Um, family comes first and it, it was lovely here I, I think it, it, it just speaks of how England have suddenly kind of 
transmorphed into this caring, sharing, very new environment, and uh, you know where everything's lovely and the values are right. Well, it, it was. I, I don't think that would have ha- happened in the previous regime. That, well, that's that what. Way. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, Jonathan. I mean, it's the first time in England football will miss a tournament to attend the birth of a child. So it really is yeah. an example, another example of the change in culture in this England squad and camp. I think so. It comes from Gareth Southgate and, and, and Delph was sort of saying how Gareth himself had left an England camp. As a I, I wasn't aware of this, but he, obviously Gareth had told him that he himself had left an England camp, you know, for friendly, I think it was, to, to go to the birth of his, his daughter. And Fabian is, is, is being allowed to put his family first and, and probably have his values in the right place. And, and does this mean that England are going to do well at the World Cup or not? I, I don't know, but... They certainly seem to have football in the right place. You know, it, 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 it's not a be-all and end-all. It's important, but there's other things that are important to England. And one thing Southgate has done is, I think, put the game in perspective for them. So maybe when they lose 2-0 to Tunisia, we'll, we'll all be saying it's too soft, but, but let's hope not. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Game. World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer. We'll be giving you a Times Trivia Teaser question every day on every podcast as provided by our very own Bill Edgar, who is in the studio with us this evening. Uh, Yesterday, we pointed out that Brazil are looking to add the World Cup to their Olympic gold medal from two years ago. The question was, which was the last country to be Olympic and world champions at the same time? Bill, tell us, put us out of our misery. Well, the answer, it's a long time ago, Uh, Italy... Uh, won the 1938 World Cup, having won the Olympic gold two years before. So they were Olympic and world champions throughout the Second World War. I definitely was not around for that, so I would not have known that. But it was a toughie. Uh, Let's bring you uh, the latest question then. Which country, oh my goodness, has a set of twins in its squad at this World Cup, having had a different set of twins at Euro 2016? That has stumped me already, Bill. It's another toughie. Okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, tune in to our next podcast for the answer.
A late goal in Kazan saw France beat Australia 2-1 in a game where technology played its part, with history being made with the first World Cup VAR penalty. So let's get straight to that second half penalty incident, Bill. Uh, The referee at first waved away the penalty for a tackle from Josh Risden on Antoine Griezmann. It was VAR that then overruled that original decision uh, and the resulting penalty led to France going 1-0 up. The Australian goalkeeper, Matt Ryan, says they were beaten by technology and not the better team. So with that in mind, it's perhaps still not clear whether it was the right call. Well, um, the the referee uh, waved play on and then the VAR referee team should only uh, alert the referee, tell him to reconsider if, the, if it's um, a clear and obvious mistake. Now, the tackle on Griezmann by Risden was... I mean, it, it, it's so debatable. Um, you could easily argue both ways. You know, the, the Risden got a touch on the ball, but his follow-through caught uh, Griezmann. Now, was was there kind of was their follow-through legitimate? Because you obviously allowed a little bit of contact if you if you touch the ball, but you're not allowed a lot of contact if you clatter the opponent uh, into the advertising boards as you lightly touch the ball and that's not allowed. Risden might have uh, might have been able to withdraw his leg having got the touch on the ball as he was sliding along but it's all very debatable so I know Mark Clattenberg thought it was a penalty so absolutely fine with that but but really to say that it was a clear and obvious error uh, is surely pushing it too far <laughs> you know that must be kind of ni- you know 95% uh, of referees definitely saying it's a penalty so while you, you could certainly say argue that France deserved a penalty perhaps in your opinion it, it's hard to say that VAR was applied properly. Mm, I mean different angles showed it differently didn't it and I guess what we do have to remember is that it is the referee's d- decision it is the referee's interpretation and not the people's uh, opinion yeah. but VAR is always going to spark this debate. He has to be guided by the VO assistant referees and uh, it, it just seemed too much for them to deduce that it was uh, a clear and obvious error. Well, Australia equalised just four minutes later with their own penalty for Mila Jednak, but France won it through uh, goal line technology being involved in this one from a deflected shot from Paul Pogba. Uh, I don't know, what, what did you make of uh, France's performance? Because they seem to struggle to break down Australia. Yeah, I, w- I mean, it was very disappointing, really. Look, again, you look player for player, they are vastly superior, and uh, and and when you look at when you know that, and then you look at the individual players, and you, you think, well, they're not not doing that badly individually. It's not like they're all they're uh, slicing passes into touch, mistiming tackles terribly, or whatever. It's it's just kind of not happening. I think well, the, the tactics are wrong. And after about half an hour, it was clearly that was uh, they were getting absolutely nowhere with this group of world class players. Well, surely just change something just you know try something else out but Deschamps uh, you know stuck to it throughout the first half uh, in fact all three of his substitutions were like for like so uh, I mean it was quite a disappointing display overall nevertheless they got the win so um, they'll probably get through to the next round but as you mentioned the uh, goal line technology I don't think I've ever seen uh, the ball such a short distance over the line it was it was literally a centimeter so it was uh, it was that close to, between a, a win and a draw indeed uh, the other game in uh, group c saw denmark beat peru 1-0 where for the second time 
this Saturday, another VAR penalty was awarded. And it was actually Peru playing in their first World Cup for 36 years that awarded that penalty. Uh, the referee, uh, Bakary Gassama, had initially missed Yusuf Paulson sliding in and taking out Christian Kueva. But then after consulting with VAR, he awarded the penalty. Was that the correct decision? I think so. I mean, Kueva did kind of stick his foot out a bit as if to kind of uh, offer it to be tripped. But Paulson did, yeah, just kick his foot. So, so I mean, it was a penalty. But in general play, they they played very well. I thought they were they looked more impressive than Denmark. On the other hand, uh, they came up against two problems. Firstly, Kasper Schmeichel was, was outstanding. Uh, a couple of good saves with his hands, one good save with his foot. And on top of that, Peru rather lost their nerve in front of goal. Terribly wayward shooting, of course, none worse than the penalty itself by Cueva. Having won the penalty, scooped it um, quite a way over the bar. Just going back onto that VAR uh, situation, the decision, uh, our very own Henry Winter, very much surprised that the referee failed to spot it the first time around. In real time, he, he said that VAR is a safety net, but that doesn't mean refs should duck out of making decisions. And that was a clear pen first time. Uh, I'm guessing, I don't know, maybe the referee wasn't in the right position to necessarily see it as we have seen it, but um, Henry has a point perhaps. You wonder if referees have been uh, encouraged to think that way, uh, to let play go on and just see what happens because they know they can always bring it back afterwards so for example the issue of offside before the tournament referees were told to just play if there's any doubt at all just play on and then we'll see if they score and then it can be brought back and you wonder if referees have got this in their mind just say oh just uh, let's just not intervene just let everything happen and then we'll look later you know and see var can kind of uh, tidy it up later so uh, henry has a point yeah <laughs> Now, the World Cup experience has already been some and more for George Colkin, who joins us from Rostov now. George, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Hello. Hello. Uh, let's start right at the beginning. You wrote for The Times about your experience travelling to Yekaterinburg on the Trans-Siberian Railway. Now, how was that? It was great now that I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> um, uh, so, basically, yeah, I was sent to sort of Yekaterinburg... Uh, to do the Egypt-Uruguay game, and as it's the kind of farthest flung tournament venue, we sort of thought it might be kind of quite fun to go there in style. And when I say in style, I don't mean sort of uh, in luxury, far from it, but to get, to get the Trans-Siberian uh, Railway across, it's the longest uh, railway journey in the world, I think it, I think it is. Um, and so I set off from Moscow at sort of midnight, uh, Monday Monday night, Tuesday morning, that kind of thing, and turned up in um, Yekaterinburg 34 hours later, having had very little sleep, but some fairly memorable experiences. What can you take away from this journey that you went on? It was just that feeling of enormity. And, I mean, it's very peculiar, because I was was in this second-class carriage, four berths uh, to a carriage, so, you know, sharing with four sort of strangers in these tiny little kind of cabins. There's a hot water tank at one end of every carriage where you can make your own tea and instant noodles and all that kind of stuff in the morning. And there are kind of two provodnista, they're called, who are kind of carriage attendants, I suppose, who wear uniforms, who check your tickets when you get on, all that kind of stuff. But they kind of keep they keep everybody in order on the carriage and they take it in shifts. One rests while the other works and it's... You know, it's this sort of extraordinary life on the railway. I mean, I'm, I met 
these Swedish students who were doing the whole thing. So they were going from Moscow to Vladivostok. And so I set off, as I say, I set off on the night of the Monday. And when my game kicked off yesterday, Egypt-Uruguay, they still had two more days left to travel. I mean, it's kind of extraordinary to think about it in those terms. But it's something that I guess the locals that use it would have been well prepared for. They would have been, you know, perhaps wearing their pyjamas, as you've written in your article. It is a great read, I have to say. And I guess you probably weren't as well (laughs) organised. No, I wasn't. I mean, I won't use the language that I use in the paper to describe it. No, but I kind of turned up in jeans and T-shirt and sort of thought, I mean, just didn't think it through. But sort of everybody else turned up in, you know, leggings or tracksuit bottoms and then got changed into pyjamas. And there's this proper ritual with it. So everybody had brought their own food. So they brought their own um, picnic hampers, that kind of stuff. Or, as I say, sort of like instant noodles to make on the train. I mean, you you could get food. There was a restaurant carriage but it seems to be pretty sort of underused there's also this sort of tradition of sharing food now i mean i sort of i think i kind of went with that very noble idea of oh it's going to be great i'm going to be sharing you know i'm going to meet meet people and of course after sort of five six seven eight hours i was just desperate to be on, to be on my own <laughs> so that i could get a bit of the rolling stock is sort of is obviously sort of quite old so there was the loo flushes straight onto the track and if you go between the carriages you sort of it feels like you're taking your life in your own hands a little bit but a fantastic thing to do i'm very glad very glad i did it i'm just slightly surprised the office didn't ask me to cycle cycle to rostov <laughs> just to uh, just to complete the journey <laughs> um i'm guessing it's something obviously you don't need to, to do again but where does this sort of rank with previous trips that you've had to make in the name of football Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I suppose it's, I mean, it's it's definitely sort of the most different. I mean, I remember kind of getting the bullet train in Japan and things like that. And I mean, the, the sort of extraordinary thing about this is that, I mean, it, it obviously took far too long in terms of a journey. I didn't need to spend that long getting to Yekaterinburg, but um, it was just, it's, it's sort of like little detail so that the the train runs on Moscow time. So these long distance trains, they all run on Moscow time. So if you go to the state, so my arrival time in Yekaterinburg was nine, whatever, 9.20, according to my ticket, but it was actually 11.20 in Yekaterinburg. And if you catch a train from Yekaterinburg back to Moscow, you have to turn up two hours earlier than it says on your ticket because it, they all run. It's, it's So it's just all these little sort of cultural things. I love... You know, I love I love doing that kind of thing. I'm not over I'm not over here for very long. You know, as well as the kind of football that I'm going to see, I'll I'll definitely sort of take that away from me. It's it's I feel like I've had a slice of Russia. Yeah, indeed, and and of course your lengthy travels didn't finish there. Now, by my calculations from the journey that you've made today, one thousand two hundred twenty nine miles you've covered from Yekaterinburg to Rostov via Moscow, and you're in Rostov because you're going to be watching Brazil Switzerland on Sunday. Brazil very much the bookies' favourites to win this tournament. Are they your favourites? I think I, I think we, we we did a sort of times predictor. I think I predicted Germany just because, generally speaking, Germany do win the World Cup. That's um, sort of my theory. Um, but can't wait to see the game tomorrow. I mean, they're, you know, they've obviously got a lot to to sort of prove after what happened to to them in their own backyard four years ago and particularly the way that you know the way it ended with that extraordinary 7-1 defeat to to Germany are they the favourites well they'll be up there I mean a lot you'd think a lot will hang on sort of Neymar and you know he's not been fit he's only played a couple of games since since February because he had a broken foot um so it'll be interesting to see interesting to see how he does and you know, we've obviously seen a couple of the favourites 
struggle a little bit in their opening games. Switzerland are, you know, without sort of wishing to sort of lurch immediately into into cliche, they're very resilient. They they don't lose very many games, and um, I mean they're actually I think they're actually ranked something like six in the world at the minute, and that's because that's because they don't lose very many games. So you would think there might be quite an interesting sort of clash of clash of styles tomorrow. Mm. Uh, Bill, Brazil have an impressive record when it comes to their opening match of a World Cup. Unbeaten, in fact, since Italy 1934. So would you expect that they'll continue that trend? I would do, yeah. Um, yes, I'd just... Uh, it'd be interesting to see if they've got the, the balance right between attack and defence. When we saw them last day, uh, the last World Cup, they had the 7-1 defeat to Germany, then they were beaten comfortably by Holland in the third place playoff. Just watching um, one of their friendlies, they did seem a bit open at times. The, the two fullbacks are very attacking, Danilo and Marcelo, and um, it, the, the two centre-backs were kind of left isolated quite a lot, and uh, you just fear that they, uh, they might not have the balance right. But... Uh, in general, individually, they've got great players and uh, I wouldn't be surprised, say, if they were playing Germany in the final. Well, speaking of Germany, we get to see them uh, against Mexico on Sunday as well, George. A, a German team so good that they don't actually need Leroy Sané. I know. Imagine that sort of... Imagine having that luxury. I mean, it's... Um, I know. I mean, it's, that that has obviously sort of dominated their, their build-up a, a bit and it, you know, from... From an English perspective, it seems remarkable that they could do that. But it is, you know, it's about balance and it's about, you know, it's some, sometimes the best teams aren't necessarily made of the best players. It's about sort of getting that, it's about getting that system and shape to gel and pe- the people to gel and to play above themselves. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it does feel pretty remarkable. But I mean, I'd, you would expect them to go to go deep in the tournament, wouldn't you? It is it's strange when, if you look at last season's Premier League, you look at Sane up against Özil. You say Sane was absolutely brilliant. Özil quite disappointing overall. There's no question that Sane was was massively more uh, important yeah. over the season. Yet, uh, not only is Sane not in the squad, Özil's in the first eleven. You know, possibly the most important creative player in the Germany team, an absolute certain starter. Özil just seems to fit into the way. Germany play when Arsenal are playing well he'll play well when Arsenal are having a bad day he'll have a bad day I've very rarely seen him have a great day while Arsenal all around, players all around him are struggling so when he's surrounded by fantastic players as he is with Germany he's, he's right up there world class mm. It's not easy of course to, to retain the World Cup Germany are looking to become the first team to do that since Brazil in 1962 but they've not had the best preparation they've only won one match since qualifying for Russia, but does that matter? Not, well, with Germany, no. You just look at uh, history. They consistently, they've been very uh, moderate in friendlies. I looked at it uh, a couple of years ago. I think it's something like the last 10 years. England's friendly results are much better than Germany's. And on paper, England have played harder teams when you when you uh, look at the world ranking of their opponents. So based on that, you would think, well, England are clearly better than Germany. Yet when it comes to the tournament, uh, Germany 
you know, it, it's beyond luck. They, they, for 50 years, they've been doing better than England. Somehow, the, the, their attitude is absolutely spot on. And uh, so, as George said, you, you, you know, you, he, he predicted Germany just because you'd expect it. I mean, they played uh, Saudi Arabia uh, just before the World Cup. They won 2-1. And Saudi Arabia had created countless chances. And you thought, well, this is Saudi Arabia looked really good. They've got a, you know, they've got a chance. Yeah, when it came to it... Uh, had a, a terrible time on the opening day, beaten 5-0 by Russia. Indeed, indeed. Of course, Sunday's action all gets underway with Costa Rica versus Serbia. And of course, we remember that uh, Costa Rica did very well in Brazil getting to the quarterfinals. But uh, that's all the games covered for Sunday. George, thank you very much for joining us. I think you deserve a well-earned rest. Thank you very much. Well, I'm getting one. I'm getting one after Monday. I'm I'm heading back, uh, heading back on Monday. So I'm, I'm, I must create a record. I'm, I'm heading back not only before England, but... Um, before England have actually finished playing their first match. So, sent home in disgrace. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, safe travels back then. Thank you. Many thanks to my guests today, Bill Edgar, Jonathan Northcroft and George Calkin. Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. For a limited time only, it's just a pound a month for your first three months. Search The Times Sale for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. We'll be back after Brazil and Germany have shown what they're made of and we'll be joined by Jonathan Northcroft and Oliver Kay. See you then. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.